newspaper men meet such interesting people. The Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media. You have a bunch of veteran journalists in the room here ready to share some of our thoughts with you. We hope there is some illumination. I'm Rex Smith, formerly editor of the Times Union, now creating, uh, and the Record of Troy, now creating the Upstate American on Substack. Ira Fussfeld is here, formerly publisher of the Daily Freeman of Kingston, New York, and uh, affiliated publications, and he was the editor thereof before he ascended to the vaunted It's all position. a blur. It's all a blur. Yeah. It's all a blur. Rosemary Mayo is here, investigative journalist with a multitudinous background across the country, <laughs> around the world indeed. And Ian Pickus, the news director of WAMC, in effect our host here. Thank you very much. Lovely studio, Ian. Thanks. I know where we keep the tissues. <laughs> you know, when you're an editor, you want to have tissues handy because sometimes you have to give people bad news. Yes. So I always had a box of tissues. I did, too. Yeah. I did, too. Yeah. You have them when you were going to have those hard conversations. Uh, you know, when I was the editor of the record, the nicest thing about the job. Well, no, this is not quite true, but I had an oval office overlooking the press. It was really cool. I had windows on one side over the newsroom, and on the back it overlooked the press. And I had a deputy sports editor who was having some trouble. He had some issues. And I didn't know this at the time. I kept calling him into my office to talk to him about his issues. And finally, we thought that he probably needed a different career course. <laughs> but he referred to it as the trouble bubble. He said, oh, i got to go in to talk to Rex in the trouble bubble. Which paper was this? This is Troy? And Troy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My office was on the second floor. The only office on, there was a specially made second floor for this particular office. And the press was in the basement and across the side of the building. But when that press started running, it was like the subway. You could just feel Feel the whole building shake. Oh, I miss that. How often did it happen that you had to run a change down at the last minute and replate something at 11 p.m.? Uh, Not infrequently, I found. When we were an afternoon paper, that happened more often. The morning paper, not really. I remember they changed it for the Challenger. That was the biggest story that we changed the front page and held up the press. The election in, of 2000. Yeah, I was in uh, Florida. Oh, you were in Florida. Of, I was in Florida, election oh. of 2000, and we went right, oh my God, we held it to like 3 o'clock that day. Oh, I did worse. We still I, got it wrong. I, I had five wrong. different headlines on the front page yep, on election night. Yep. Finally got it right, but that was accidental because uh, it took several months before we got it right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was 30 days after that. And yeah. That whole month was a total blur. We were late every day that month. Is why digital is actually a superior platform for news reporting because you can fix your errors right on the spot. You don't have True. to live with them. Well, the other thing is that those editorial types like me and the you guys, a lot of them did not understand why you had to be on time. In other words, we couldn't hold the press, not because uh. we didn't want to get news in the paper, but because if you hold the press, delivery is going to get screwed up and people won't read all the hard work you just put into it. I made that mistake. When I first went to the Times Union as managing editor, the first municipal election, I was so proud that we got it right because it was a tight race for mayor of Troy. And the, the rest of the executive team was up at a retreat on Blue Mountain Lake. And when I got up there late in the morning, I was really pleased. I brought the paper with me and the general manager would hardly speak to me because I had held the paper until 2 a.m. Oh, yeah. Home delivery getting screwed up. Yeah, he said, go around in the afternoon and see how many newspapers are still sitting in driveways because people left for work before they had time to read it. So That's I how Rex got in the trouble bubble. <laughs>
<laughs> exactly. But see, you don't have that problem, Ian. You can go with what you've got, right? Yes, and it's sort of the opposite problem, which is a good problem. We had a preliminary election in our coverage area this week, and it's one of those things where, you know, results come in 8, 9, 10, 11, and they have to be online. They've got to be in. It can't wait till the next day. That's really been true in all kind of off-hours, quote-unquote, breaking news situations. The days of, we didn't make it today, but it'll be in tomorrow's, those are in the past. Now it's got to be up as soon as you have something to report. Yeah. And when you see a print product, then it seems so outdated. I mean, it's all old and you feel like, why are they bothering to give me this news that is so outdated that it accentuates the failure of print as a medium? I would say just put the news that is so late deeper into the paper and make your front page stuff that at least is fresh. A lot of print people are not old enough to remember what I used to call or what you typically called the PM lead. The wire services would send out a story, let's just say it was a baseball game. The game ends, they send out a story. If you run an afternoon paper, which meant most newspapers in the country, and they may still be, there were more afternoon papers than morning papers, the same baseball game needs to be reported in the afternoon paper, but it's reported in a different way. It's got a, it's got a more featureized lead into it. It's got more quotes, perhaps. And I see in a lot of newspapers today that are troubled because of the lack of staff that they have, an inability or an unknown quality about what a retelling that lead ought to be. Just give us the same story that's made you out of date, but make it a little fresher by putting new well, material in it. Yes, here's a solution. Let AI do it. <laughs> Don't yeah, ask Scott right. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, talk about that a little bit, Ian. There was a remarkable snafu in the Columbus Dispatch in Columbus, Ohio. Right? Yes, I think it might be uh, something that resonated with me because I kind of started out doing those games. Uh, AI is now writing a lot of sports game stories. This was piloted by the AP with minor league baseball, I think even a decade ago. A robot can look at the box score and write an approximation of what happened. In this case, they ran a story that effectively looked like it was written by someone from outer space and <laughs> talking about a mascot beating a mascot in a sports contest and they had to eat some crow for putting that in the paper and, and not looking at it. So that led to NPR's weekend edition, uh, Maven Scott Simon, waxing poetic about what the real life high school athletes could do versus the computer. But I think those AI kinks will be worked out in the long run, so this might be the last moment when it's so inefficient. Maybe. Gannett had started this AI experimenting with high school sports, but this story that Ian's talking about from Columbus, here's the lead. The Worthington Christian, bracket, winning team mascot, defeated the Westerville North, brackets, losing team mascot, 2-1 in an Ohio boys soccer game on Saturday. You know, we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago on this show, but the new thing added in the story that we all looked at, Ian, is that instead of AI, get the high school kids to write the story. You wouldn't have to pay them very much. Just pay them to do the stories. We'd end up better off than using the machines, which I really like. An old idea that's new again. I mean, yeah. we used yeah. to do that. Yes. You know, give them yes. 10 or 15 bucks, and that was great because they were meticulous. Sure, you know. and they care about it. It's their teams, and right. they, they knew the people. You weren't going to mix up names and numbers. They were pretty good at it. Why did we get away from that? What happened to paper boys, Rex? Why don't we have these things? <laughs> 
Well, paper boys went away because their parents don't want kids on the street at 4 a.m. Yeah, there's a lot of crime concerns. Yeah, we guarantee delivery at 6 a.m. these days, naturally. But I think the reason that you don't have more high school students doing games, why you don't have stringers in every community. When I was the editor of the record, we had 30 different citizen stringers in all the little towns around, like the Averill Park Town Board and the Pittstown Town yep. Board. We actually won awards in Pittstown. I think the reason is because there isn't even enough staff to coordinate uh. those stringers. You know, it takes a full-time person to really handle the billing. Well, the but it was also money. Them. There was a point in time where, you know, if you paid somebody five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, that was a nice piece of change. Now, these kids don't need the money. You know what else I've noticed with respect to sports? Athletes and even youth athletes are doing a great job of telling their own stories. Yeah. They have well-made social profiles. Mm-hmm. They have highlight reels. And, you know, I'm at this age now where a lot of my friends have kids in youth sports and things like that. And when I was their age, you know, it would be great to get a line in. You know, Pickus was one for four, but boy, did he try hard. And, um, <laughs> and now it's high-def video and recruiting reels and getting the story in the paper is not as sexy as it once was. Right, but the teams and, and the major league teams, even the minor league teams have, of course, their own sites and their own PR yeah. people who basically do reporting, but it is reporting with a bias. But that happens when you have human correspondence, too. Well, think on the news angle, I, one little community that we covered in Rensselaer County in the early 90s, our correspondent was a woman with 11 kids who raised oh chickens, gosh. and she delivered eggs to people. She knew exactly where, like which back door, where she would take eggs. She was the egg lady in town, and she would cover the town board for the Troy newspaper. But there was a little problem where... The town supervisor might, during a meeting, just turn to our reporter and say, Mabel, this part is off the record. And go, okay. And she'd put down her notebook. So you have to be careful. The human sources can have their flaws, too, not only AI. That sounds like a recruiting and hiring problem, not a source problem. (laughs) Oh, Rex loves his omelets. What can you say? (laughs) But at the end of the day, I mean, AI, as well as they hope it will be, you can't send an AI to a town board meeting. It'll solve some problems, such as if the sports example is straightened out, whatever the problem occurred. But they're not the same as people. You still need people to go out and get stories. And they can't fight when that board goes into executive session illegally to keep the door open. It doesn't do any good. You know, we talk about news deserts, places where there are no newspapers, where there's no news organization covering them. And there are, you know, many of them across the country. This has been documented by Penny Abernethy, a professor at uh, Medill School at Northwestern University. But, you know, some of the places where there are news deserts are urban centers. For example, I think Arlington, Texas, halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth, a community of 400,000 people, a school system of 65,000 students. There's nobody covering that. Now, the Dallas Morning News, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram will tell you, well, we, we cover it when there's news there, but there is no reporter assigned to Arlington, Texas. And that kind of a thing, you know, when I was a young reporter at Newsday, I covered a town of 450,000 people, the town of Brookhaven, Long Island. We had a team of four reporters covering that community, nobody for Arlington, Texas. This is a problem of the economics of journalism that defies a solution so far. Speaking of problems of the economics of journalism, there is the lack of 
copy editing or is it a lack of proofreading? Uh, you know, we old timers have complained about this. I have in front of me a newspaper story, actually in print from one of the local newspapers, a, a good story about how scout troops are booming five years after allowing girls into the BSA. And on the jump, that is the page where the story goes inside the paper, here is what you read as you're reading along here, <laughs> which said in a statement has well-documented benefits. Need a sentence here saying what led to the Boy Scouts accepting girls and what has the impact been on the Girl Scouts. Also, in a sentence, can we quickly say what the difference is between Girl Scouts and BSA? Editor note. An editor note. <laughs> To go back to a reporter, and all of us who have done editing, producing, know that this is what you have to do. You sometimes send a story back with a note and hope that the reporter can get to it. That looks like a hard stet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not This good. is why we wrote those notes very carefully. You couldn't use swear words or slang yeah. words or jokes because there was always the possibility that even when there were copy desks that it would get through and, and it would appear like that. Reminiscent of, speaking of a long time ago, that headline in, was it the Boston Herald after Jimmy Carter gave a speech about inflation? The dummy head, that is what they put as a placeholder uh -huh, over uh -huh. the headline, said, more mush from the wimp. Oh, gosh. And it unfortunately I've got into print. Oh. It was just meant to be a funny headline. Today, um, that would be the lead of Fox News. <laughs> You're right. That's right. That Look what is... they call them. They're proof of bias, of media <laughs> bias. Yeah. yeah. But every journalist, editor, copy editor, reporter, was told when computers went into their shops, don't hit the send button unless you're absolutely certain what is in that send button is going to be worthy of being in print. Don't put any notes in the computer that you don't want to see on the front page of the newspaper. But then you got the guy from the composing room hanging over the shoulder of the news editor saying, come on, come on, come on, I'm yeah, holding what, the press for that page. What composing room? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, okay, the press room. Well, there's still somebody running a press. I mean, but... you, you, when we first went to computers, one of the most frequently asked questions of me was, don't you guys have proofreaders? And the answer was, no, we don't. We had proofreaders in the old days, but when computers came in, the proofreading was done by the reporters and editors themselves. Changed the whole world, mostly for the better in terms of speed and the like, but then you have examples like those that will show up. Everybody needs a copy editor. Everybody. I just uh, I just taped a, a commentary for WAMC. You know, I do one of the midday magazine commentaries, and I had three really embarrassing errors that, uh, like I referred to Speaker McCarthy's group as the House minority. Well, of course, oh, it's yeah. the majority. And I referred to the end of Major League Baseball season. Well, it's the regular season, really. Yeah, we're going into the postseason uh, soon. So anyway, you need to have somebody watching over that. There just aren't enough humans to do that these days, given the economics of the media marketplace. It so does hurt credibility, and people lose trust if they see even something like an address wrong, something relatively minor and easy to make a mistake and hard to catch, even if you did have readers. That's the sort of thing that reader goes, well, if you got that wrong, you got the whole thing wrong, Exactly, too. particularly yes. in a small town where yeah. you, if you say Washington Street instead of Washington Avenue, it'll screw up the entire view of what you think yeah. of that story. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, there are fewer people, you know, like the job I have, checking these things, number one. Number two, speed is the enemy of accuracy, as we know in a lot of cases. Number three, and not to sound like I'm, you know, in my robe on the front porch shaking my fist right here, but people who are coming out of schools don't have the same skills with respect to grammar, style, syntax, spelling that they once did. And, you know, Rosemary and I have both seen it. 
you know, when, when you're trying to get a story 100%, that means that it's all accurate and it's well written. That is a tough hill to climb these days. Call the Pulitzer Committee. <laughs> or as my students would say, yeah, I seen it. Uh, you're speaking to the students you're dealing with at the university level, right? Well, when someone comes out and they're 21, 22, they, they are going to make mistakes and they're going to have their stories get a second set of eyes a lot of times. But if they're not having that, that level of uh, editorial oversight, then mistakes like that are getting in print. So if there are fewer people watching over this, given the economics, what does it say about our priorities if Gannett, the largest <laughs> newspaper chain in America, which has repeatedly slashed jobs in local news markets, uh, especially over the last two years, most recently, recently they laid off 6% of the news division in December, top editors leaving. What does it say when Gannett has decided they are advertising for a Taylor Swift journalist, a reporter who will cover Taylor Swift on a daily basis is this smart marketing because that's what people care about? Or is this just a publisher really ignoring its responsibility? I think it's a great idea. Okay, let me start <laughs> I'm with Rosemary here. Whenever you have a shakeup in a newsroom and new beats are assigned, you get new kinds of stories. Orange County years ago had a mall reporter, unheard of at the time. But that's where culture was happening at the time. Kids were congregating. There was a whole social and business life aside from the, the mercantile stuff of, of the mall. Uh, the New York Times right now has a reporter, a very excellent reporter, covered sexual harassment in the newsroom for a long time. She's now looking at climate change from the individual level. What can an individual person do with no support? Stories like you've never seen before. The other, the one the other day was bird baths. What you can you can put bird baths in your yard because birds get hot too. It's wonderful stories. And who knows? Taylor Swift has a following. She's important as a political figure. Her voice matters. She's uh, music, which is culture. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, Gannett might be the wrong avatar for it, but I'm with you. Uh, she really matters in the culture. Yep. And uh, I think there's going to be an audience for it. I mean, look at, she's selling out every stadium in the country right now. Yep. People are going to click those articles and perhaps if there's a paywall, they will pay $1.99 for the right to read it. Actually, you can get it for, I think, 25 cents for the first six months or something like a that. A bargain. It's outrageously cheap, <laughs> but you're uh, giving them, of course, your information. They can market to you. I don't know. I, it, it is troubling. You're right. Uh, Gannett may be the, the, the wrong place for this to be seen because Gannett's layoffs, unfortunately, well, although uh, it's working, their their digital subscription revenue is up, according to this story that I'm reading, 17% from uh, last year during this quarter. Its losses were only $12.7 million during the quarter compared to $53 million so they've, uh, last year, so they've cut their losses by two-thirds. So. Yeah, I, I basically agree with Ian and, and Rosemary. Another example to add to the list that Rosemary had, the Denver Post established an, a marijuana reporter right, when, right, when right. they first got legalized out there. I mean, Gannett is going to be able to share this information with its entire chain. I mean, if you break down the salary, let, let's just say for the sake of argument, it's a $100,000 job. That might be high. It's pennies when you spread it out over the entire company. And the reward is there. I, I don't think, you know, you in this era of ever-changing media, particularly print to digital, where there are layoffs, there is the need sometimes to, to add people to various roles. And this is an, an invented one, but it could be a very lucrative one for them. 
I suppose it's true. If and and if your goal is to get people to pay attention to your news site, this could work, and then people might see other news there. This is the whole theory that newspapers used to have. You know, we would put well what what I used to refer to as the golly Martha, a story on the front page that would, the mythical guy sitting there next to his post toasties in the morning saying to his wife, golly Martha, listen to this. And <laughs> you hope that that golly Martha will then draw people into the more serious news that is also, that is important yeah, for you. I mean, report. I'm presuming that their goal is to increase online traffic, not print. If they, if they think that their young people who are Taylor Swift fans are going to go right out in the, every morning and buy the paper, that seems very unlikely. But right. Her vinyls do well. Her vinyls well, but I, I'm confused as to where we, where we are in the CDs, <laughs> vinyls, DVDs. <laughs> I, mean, I, still, I still have a turntable. We don't use it much, but, wow. uh, you know. You use the hi-fi, do you? Yeah, hi-fi. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. This is the Media Project from Northeast Public Radio. That was Ira Fussfeld. You were just hearing Rosemary. Yeah, the old guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're all. Rosemary Mayo is here. I'm Rex Smith, except for Ian Pickus, who's not an old guy. It's wonderful, actually, to... It reminds me of the, there was a, a mayor of Green Island who was uh, 87 years old. Good run for president. It was really wonderful. And he, when he finally retired, he was being to be succeeded by a guy who was 72. And he said, well, I think it's time to make way for the young people. So, <laughs> <laughs> let's hear it for that. That's uh, Mayor McNulty, we remember. So listen, folks, we need to talk about the serious matter of uh, the impeachment uh, procedure that has begun in the House of Representatives against Joe Biden. And there is a question, I think, as to how this is being covered by the news media, which we ought to deal with. Any any reflections on it off the top? I understand why the White House sent a letter to the major news organizations saying, hey, take a really close look at what the Republicans are saying here. Uh, that's due diligence on their part. But I think we might be kind of past that. I don't know that the facts matter here. Uh, if they did, we might not be seeing this impeachment probe. Hmm. <laughs> the facts don't matter to the impeachers, you mean, yeah. Well, so, I don't know if they matter to the audience, the news audience either. Wouldn't they if people knew the facts? I mean, the fact is that the problem is that the problem, if you care about <laughs> people understanding the truth and making democratic decisions based upon facts, the public opinion polling suggests that Americans broadly believe that Joe Biden is as corrupt as Donald Trump. Yet there has been no finding of wrongdoing on the part of Joe Biden at all. He seems to have not made a buck off the millions that his son made before Biden entered the White House. It, but what has happened? There has been, uh, I, I just yesterday, I was looking up the fact-checking on the impeachment claims. It's out there. Uh, major news organizations have done fact-checks on what Kevin McCarthy said versus what is real. It doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, I think it's sad that the White House felt they had to send out a note as if the media would not be looking <laughs> at an inquiry very closely. I think that there's absolute cynicism on the part of the House Republicans who are bringing this action in the face of no hard evidence, not one single piece of hard evidence, despite years of going after Hunter Biden and trying to connect him to his father. And But the media has pointed that all out. And as you say, it makes no difference to our reader. I'm thinking this is going to be like Iraq, where viewers and listeners of the news continued to think that Iraq had some involvement in 9-11 when there was repeated and multiple and in many places stories saying, no, there's no connection. 
They never got that. And Benghazi, you know, the the sense that, uh, you know, there was some complicity on the part of Hillary Clinton in the disaster in Benghazi uh, when all the uh, investigations uh, led to nothing. Seven different inquiries into Hillary Clinton, yet she was dirtied up enough by the opposition so that she lost the White House bid. You know, it changed the course of history. So look, the problem is, and we've described this problem for any number of other subjects over the years here, is that the kind of reporting that the that many in the media are doing that Rosemary alludes to is not necessarily where the people who don't want to believe that reporting are getting their right. news. They're they're getting it from Fox, they're getting it from right wing radio, they're getting it from right wing social media sites, and they simply either are unaware of the more objective reporting or don't believe it don't care because the Fox presentation is so compelling for people who have well, it's a... It's hypnotic. Right if you sit and watch Fox all day long, I, I'll watch it in doses, but if you if you read the chirons on the bottom where they have the head... Well, I, I call them headlines still, but mm-hmm. first of all, it's blatantly editorializing, and secondly, it's often misleading. And that, But if you're sitting and watching that programming all day, you're going to get hypnotized by it. It's, it's no wonder people believe but it. This is all- Trump inspired marketing. This is no different than when he said to the president of Ukraine, you don't really have to investigate the Bidens. Just say you're going to have an investigation. This is about blurring and slurring names. But people are not necessarily able to make the distinction between the marketing and what is news and what isn't news. Exactly. And there's also a population that doesn't follow the news at all. So what they get is a double, triple osmosis of (laughs) Joe Biden did something wrong. I don't know what it is. There's a lot of discussion about it. And that is where the understanding ends. And I think that might be by design. Well, there's also a lot of people who think if the police are arresting you, you must have done something. And this is the same thing. Congress is investigating you. There must be something there. So and that's hard to do? get past that. What do you do if you're uh, an editor, the president of CBS News? What do you, how do you counteract the disregard of the facts that is prevalent in one of your great competitors, where Fox News puts liars and hucksters every day on the air? What can you do other than what? Try to make your product as attractive as possible? You know, here's an interesting thought. Christiane Amanpour has been, it was reflecting on her 40 years as a correspondent. And she, uh, her mantra is, be truthful, not neutral. And that is a really interesting, uh, that is what we've been saying, but I just think it's so hard to do that mm-hmm. because it makes your news organization appear to be biased. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Yep. And she was. Her coverage of the Bosnian War was incredibly anti-Serbian. Hmm. And having been there, uh, I, I know there's, there's still enemies about her. She made She made the Serbs look like the bad guy. And in places they were. In other places, the Croats were. In other places, the Muslims were. She never brought, provided that. But on the other hand, if anybody in America knows about that war in Bosnia, it's because they were listening to Christiana Amanpour. Right. She made it compelling and important. Yeah, she was, and she was brave in going to places where Correct. a lot of reporters Correct. were afraid to go. Uh, she is everywhere. And as being, she says she was witnessing genocide in that war and needed to be truthful about it. And so if we're in this uh, situation now in America where um, the two sides are not evenly split in the way they approach the news, factually speaking, we need to be truthful not neutral. But can't you be truthful and neutral? Mm-mm. You don't think so? I don't think so. There's a new uh, publication, a new newsletter. I know you like those, Rex. 1440 <laughs> is the name yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And it's purporting to be 
all the news, all the big news, but completely without bias. I subscribe to it because I want to read that. It's very boring. Yeah. I'll say that. <laughs> I agree. It's incredibly dry. But there is no bias in it that I've noted in the first week. Well, we'll see how they handle the impeachment. Yeah, because, I'm, you know, I'm curious about the that. No bias. Uh, if you neutrally report what Kevin McCarthy says, you're allowing lies to take root in your viewers and listeners. That's all we have time for on the Media Project this week, folks. We have had Rosemeyer Mayo and Ian Pickus and Ira Fussfeld and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to our producer, David Gastina, for making this all possible. And to you folks for joining us this week on The Media Project.